We're going to be in Acts chapter 18 this morning. You just saw in, in the video there, this is going to kind of be a standalone thing that I'm going to come back to every once in a while. We're calling it Heroes. So when we come across maybe somebody who's overlooked in Scripture but whose story is pretty spectacular, uh, we're, going to just, we're just going to focus on what made their story so great. And today I'm talking about a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and they're in Acts chapter 18. So we'll probably do this down the road, but today we're going to dive in with Priscilla and Aquila. Part of the thinking with this heroes thing is that there is a lot of power in seeing something that produces awe in us, A-W-E, awe. Uh, in some ways, it's like compare the power between something awesome, something like mountains in Colorado or flowers or a beautiful sunset, something awesome versus a to-do list. You know, like the difference between those two, like a different, probably you had a different feeling in your stomach when you think about a beautiful sunset versus the to-do list you got to get to this afternoon, right? Okay. And so today what I'm aiming for is this. I want to help you see something awesome and to allow that to produce in you desire and longing and hope, expectation even. I am not trying to give you a to-do list, okay? But there will be a list. I just want to come back to that. That's not my goal here, and I hope that will be clear to you. I had an experience of awe the other day. I was riding the bike with some buddies, and we're going down the trail, going over some routes, just having a good time, and all of a sudden I hear behind me, bang! And uh, I turn around, and my very good buddy is laid out on the ground, covered in dirt, okay? He's got the wind knocked out of him, so we, my, my friend... And I, we both stop and gather around this buddy, help him to stand up, pick up his bike. And he stands up and he's kind of shaking like this. And we're like, maybe you should sit down. And he says, yeah, I think I will. And he sits down on his bottom. And then he just starts to fall backwards. And I go, no, 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 that's poison ivy. And he says, I don't care. And just falls back and he just lays there. And so uh, my other friend and I start up a conversation because we realize we're going to be here for a little while. And... Uh, we start talking about the thing that's on our mind, which at that moment was concussions. Turns out he didn't have one, but we started a, a really encouraging conversation to him about concussions. And um, that leads us uh, in kind of an odd way to talking about your eyes, because apparently your eyes can be affected when you have a concussion that can be part of the symptoms. And then from the ground, as we're talking about eyes, the, my buddy on the ground laying in the poison ivy, he just shouts out, my eye doctor's incredible. Which is such a weird, weird thing. We're like, oh, okay, tell us about that. And um, so it turns out his, his eye doctor here in Memphis is Dr. Shanzer. Anybody ever heard that name before, Dr. Shanzer? Yeah, some of you are nodding your heads. Um, I think she's now retired, but for the last 35 years, she and her husband, out of their own pockets, uh, have taken off several months a year and opened up a clinic in Africa that does eye surgeries that really aren't performed anywhere else in Africa. And so again, this was at their own expense. And now I think, I believe that they're retired and do this nearly full time. They're over there in Africa. So he runs the clinic. He takes care of the patients. A lot of them come with various needs because they're often coming out of poverty. 
and also shares the good news of Jesus. And she performs eye surgeries and talks to all these people about Jesus. They're strong believers. Okay, so out of their own pockets for 35 years, they've performed now tens of thousands of these surgeries and shared the gospel with tens of thousands of people in Africa, all at expense to themselves, nobody else. They've done it all themselves. He's just telling us that from the ground. And I remember just thinking, wow, wow. That's amazing. That's awesome, right? And finally, he gets back up and we ride off very slowly. And, um, and I remember thinking, and I think those guys were thinking too. It, it wasn't, I didn't ride off thinking, I need to leave my job and go start an eye clinic in Africa. Like that wasn't what I was thinking. I was just thinking, that is amazing. That's beautiful what their marriage is doing in Christ Jesus. And I want my marriage to do wonderful things for Christ Jesus. I don't think I need to start an eye clinic in Africa, but it does when you're inspired, when you're filled with expectation and hope. It's not that you compare yourself to what you're seeing, but what you're seeing kind of pulls you towards it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It makes me long for better with, with my marriage. And I have that same experience when I read about this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila are this remarkable couple that show up all over the New Testament. And in a second, I'm gonna kind of just walk you through their whole story as it appears all over the New Testament. You can follow along on the screen with me. But they just have this remarkable life together in Christ Jesus. And it's kind of easy to skip over them, but I think if we skip over them, man, we really miss what it could look like to be married in Christ Jesus. And so today, today I'm going to talk about marriage. And here's the thing. I don't talk about marriage a lot because I know not everybody is married. Um, and so I, I don't talk about it every single week. But also, it turns out there are a lot of people here that are married. And it turns out marriage is one of the big things in our life. And it's good to hear God's word and how God's word speaks to and inspires our marriages every once in a while. So if you're single, let me just say two, two things this morning. First of all, let me remind you, I preached about singleness about a year ago. And Paul says that singleness is not a curse, it's a gift. And what you're able to offer the Lord in your singleness is what he calls undivided devotion in 1 Corinthians 7. And that is the sweetest gift you can offer in thanksgiving and gratitude to the Lord. And secondly, if you're single, you may recognize in this passage, you'll see it a couple times, but Paul calls Priscilla and Aquila, this married couple, he calls them my co-workers, co-workers in Christ Jesus. And the point there is that Paul realized, even as a single guy, able to do great and powerful things for Jesus all over the ancient world, that he was going to be connected to, yoked to who? Married folks. There may be a church out there that's full of only single people. I don't know about that church. Probably because if you build a church with only single people, eventually you're not gonna have a church, right? They won't be single anymore, okay? So what happens in the body of Christ by the design and glory of Jesus Christ is that single people get connected with married people and together they do great things for the kingdom. So if you're single this morning, I want you to pray that these words about marriage will penetrate the hearts of the folks here that are married, and that they would be inspired and filled with awe by what they see in Priscilla and Aquila's story. So enough 
set up. Let me walk you through their story. Kind of, this is going to be a tour to New Testament here. First time we meet Priscilla and Aquila is in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Look at this with me. You'll see it on the screen. After this, Paul's on his missionary journey right now. Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And there he made a Jew, met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay. Paul's living with and working with Priscilla and Aquila. And then in Corinth, things start to go kind of bad for Paul. He runs into what the word that's used is abuse. So his life is in danger in Corinth. In fact, it's so bad that at one point, Jesus comes to visit him in the night, and this is what Jesus says to him. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. So where is Paul at this moment? He's in Priscilla and Aquila's house sleeping. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. How are you going to know that, Paul, that I'm with you? Look at this. No one's going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. After a year and a half of continued ministry there, one day he decides it's time to move on, and Paul goes to Ephesus, another ancient city. Look at this with me. Look who tags along with him. Paul stayed at Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers and sisters, and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by who? Priscilla and Aquila. And they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila there. Okay, three really important things happen in Ephesus. We're almost through with this little summary here, but this is really important. The first is that Priscilla and Aquila, like they did in Corinth, turn their home into the the location of the church, the church building. They host the church. We know this because when Paul writes back to Corinth where he just left, From Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila, look at this. This is what he says. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And look at this. So does the church that meets in their house. We also know this because of what Paul writes in Timothy, that their home becomes the small group site. All right. Second thing that happens is that Paul gets into trouble again. We're going to read about this in a few weeks in Acts, but a riot starts in Ephesus because of what Paul's preaching. And it gets very violent and dangerous for Paul. And so it's either here in Ephesus or back in Corinth where he was also abused, or maybe in both places, that Priscilla and Aquila jump in front of the crowd, the crowd that is angry with Paul and threatening him, and defend the Apostle Paul. Maybe they held the door when Paul was inside their home and crowds were trying to grab him and drag him out. Maybe they stood at the door. We're not sure exactly what it looked like, but Paul says this in Romans 16, 4, about Priscilla and Aquila. He says, they risked their lives for me. Priscilla and Aquila together did that. All right, and then the third thing that happens is this guy named Apollos shows up. 
Now, Apollos is one of the most important early missionaries and preachers, Apollos. You read about him also elsewhere in the New Testament. And at the very beginning of his ministry, he knew some things, but apparently he didn't know everything. So he comes to Ephesus and he starts preaching. And what's really fascinating is Priscilla and Aquila realize he doesn't have it exactly right. Look what happens. Look at this. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, this is Acts 18 verse 24, a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the baptism uh, of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and he taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So basically it's saying he kind of gets it half right, not fully. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And look at this, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him together, they invited him to their home and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Priscilla and Aquila together. And then they send him on, encouraging him, and his missionary work is legendary. Why? Because they first came, over the, came under the, the tutelage of Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, last thing I'll say about him. At some point, they move on from Ephesus because the edict for which they were expelled from their home in Rome to begin with gets lifted, and they're able to go back. And when they get back to Rome, you know what they do? They start a church in their house. Okay, the third time they've done this. Look at this. This is Romans 16. Paul's writing to Rome when he's trying to go there, and he says this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, and not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them, and greet also the church that meets in their house. And then according to legend, this is not in Scripture, it's just church tradition, Priscilla and Aquila were later martyred together in Rome, together in Rome. I mean, when you look at that, don't you just think, whoa, that's a pretty remarkable marriage, isn't it? Remembered all over the New Testament. Uh, in fact, one of the really fascinating things about Priscilla and Aquila, this isn't true with every couple we have in the New Testament, is every time they're mentioned, they're mentioned together. You don't have a single time with Priscilla and Aquila where it's only Priscilla or only Aquila every time they're together. And that partnership in Christ Jesus was so legendary that Paul says, all the churches, all the churches in the Gentile world are grateful for the example and work of Priscilla and Aquila. This is before social media. This is before newscast. Somehow their marriage was so powerful in Christ Jesus, everybody knew about it. Don't you have that experience kind of like I had on the bike the other day where you're, you're riding away here from Priscilla and Aquila and you're just like, whoa, wow, that is awesome. <laughs> so let me, let me pin down here on a, a list of what was so awesome about their marriage. Again, this isn't a to-do list. What I'm trying to just draw your attention to is what is so remarkable about this marriage then I want to talk about why. Let me just draw your attention to the features of this marriage. We'll call these the eight features of a, a co-workers in Christ Jesus marriage. Let's throw these up on the screen one after another. The first is that they re endure remarkable difficulty together without losing their faith. They're expelled from their home in Rome. They're forced to flee. 
They move at least two other times. They experience persecution at risk to their own lives and die even, we believe, without losing their faith. Isn't that incredible? I mean, think about the times in your life you've had, had to move, and you move by choice. You move for a better job. You remember how difficult that was? They don't get a choice in the matter, at least the first time. They're expelled by things outside their control, have to leave everybody they know and love, run into persecution at every stop along the way, and they die together without losing their faith. Isn't that incredible? Or let me show you number two. Their lives were marked by radical welcome and hospitality. Radical welcome and hospitality. Every single place they moved to, where does the church start? In Priscilla and Aquila's house. Every single place. I was thinking about this. There's this wonderful couple here, Wayne and Martha Simpson. Wayne is one of our shepherds. Probably half of the interns that have come through HYG or children's ministry have lived at Wayne and Martha Simpson's house for the summer. Um, every single one of our missionaries, when they come to visit Highland, you know where they stay? Wayne and Martha Simpson's house, usually. I can't tell you how many children's ministry pool parties or youth group pool parties have been hosted where? At Wayne and Martha Simpson's house. Can we just admit that it can sometimes be a real burden and hassle to have people over to your house? I mean, think about it. You finally got to clean the toilet. Uh, you got to pick up the clothes. You've been putting it off, all those things. You got to put the dishes in the dishwasher. I mean, it is a burden to have people in your house. And for Priscilla and Aquila, that was normal. They were remembered because the church was always in their house. Isn't that something? And then look at this. They worked normal jobs. Number three, they work normal jobs. This wasn't the preacher and the preacher's wife. Uh, this was like an accountant and a school teacher. Um, they were tent makers. They just had normal jobs that they were working. This wasn't something that like only the elite, the super Christians are called to or only possible in a marriage of an elite super Christian. These are just normal people working normal jobs. Can anybody relate to that? That's, that's them. And then one of the things that's fascinating is through their normal jobs, their normal work, they were providing for Paul. Is that something? They, they, there was no way in the ancient world that Paul could have traveled with all the stuff he needed to be a tent maker on the road. And so he shows up to Priscilla and Aquila's. They've got all this stuff. And they say, just work for us, Paul. He works for them for a while. He's raising some money. And then at some point, his buddies show up and Priscilla and Aquila say, listen, you, you don't have to keep working for us. You just go preach. We're going to handle this. We'll take care of you. I mean, is that crazy? The two of them together were providing for the declaration of the gospel. Together they were doing it. They saw that as their purpose. This is something we can do together. I, my dad, as you know, was a preacher for 30 plus years. And, and so growing up, uh, we didn't have a ton of money in our house. We weren't poor by any means, but we didn't have a lot of extra money. And so there was a season in my life where I played competitive baseball. And uh, I did private lessons, hitting and pitching lessons. And uh, obviously those paid off. And I remember when I was a kid, I didn't think anything about that. Okay, it's lessons time. I'm going to go to my lessons. It's travel baseball time. Okay, we're going to go get a hotel and stay in this place all weekend. And it was only recently that I have realized how much that stuff costs. And I asked my dad, I was like, Dad, how in the world did we pay for that? And you know what he said? We actually didn't. There was a guy in our life, John Rushing. 
Uh, who paid for all my lessons. He's gone now, so I don't have to face him and tell him that was a bad investment. Uh, my middle son, Deacon Rush, was named after, after John Rushing. And uh, it, it, the lessons are kind of irrelevant. Like, they're fa- they adopted our family. Why? Because they believed in what my dad was doing. He was proclaiming the gospel. I'm not saying you need to pay for my kids' sport lessons. What I'm saying is, are you... I mean, if you want to, that's fine. We can work it out. But if you... <laughs> are you and your spouse providing providing out of your means for the declaration of the gospel? Are you supporting the church, the missionaries? Are you giving? Are you sitting down together doing that? What would that look like if you did that? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't it be beautiful? I need to move a little faster. They protect a young believer who's at risk, both Paul and Apollos, and help to launch them on their way. They even teach young believers. This goes with our vision of building up the next generation. The two of them together are are discipling Apollos so that he's ready to share the good news of Jesus. If they were teaching, we know they were learning. They were studying under Paul. They were studying the Holy Scriptures together so they could teach together. And then lastly, they go together. Isn't that remarkable that the two of them go on this missionary journey with Paul together? They pick up and they leave everything again because they want to go and serve the Lord together. I mean, when you look at that, isn't that incredible? And I hope when you look at it that you don't think, Eric, that is such a burdensome to-do list for my marriage. Because that's not what it is. This is like the difference if you were to go to some fine art museum and you were to look at some brilliant painting by Picasso or Van Gogh or something like that. And you've got a tour guide in the museum. He walks you up to this painting and it just takes your breath away. And then what he does is he kind of draws your attention to what it is that's so remarkable about this painting. You know, these brush strokes, this choice of color, this use of lighting, okay? So he's drawing your attention to what's beautiful about it. He doesn't then give you a sheet and say, this is exactly how you can go and do the very same thing. You know, because you couldn't, even if you had the list, even if you had the list. But here's what I want to draw your attention to. What made this possible was what Paul describes when he says that together they were co-workers in Christ Jesus. Co-workers in Christ Jesus. That first word there, co-workers, it's the Greek word from which we get the word synergy in English, which sounds like something you would hear at a business development conference. Uh, Let's talk about our synergy, everybody. Um, So it's a really cheesy word, but what the word means is that when two people bring together their own strength and combine them, that the added effect is actually greater than the two of their strengths added together. So let me give you a visual of this. Imagine you were to go to one of those carnivals or fairs, and they have one of those games where you take the hammer and you hit the thing and the bell rises up on the dial. You know what I'm talking about based on how hard you hit it? Okay. So let's imagine this guy walks up to that and he swings as hard as he can and it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and it goes up to two and comes back down. And then the, the, the woman comes up and she hits it and it goes up to, to two. Okay. Well, let's say they were both to grab the hammer at the same time and try to swing it down together if they could manage that. At best, what would they swing? A four. But what Paul says is that somehow in their marriage, because it was a marriage in Christ Jesus, when the two of them swing together, it doesn't score a four, it scores an eight or a nine. Because of the power of Jesus Christ working in their marriage. Look again, it doesn't say co-workers for Christ Jesus. What does it say? Co-workers 
in Christ Jesus. Paul says that in Christ Jesus, we have been raised into Christ. We have been created in Christ. But then he says the sweetest thing in Ephesians 2. He says that when you are in Christ Jesus, you in your life or you in your marriage can experience the incomparable riches of his grace and his kindness. And that the power of that grace and kindness can make possible in your life and in your marriage what is impossible through only your strength. We had a marriage conference this weekend, and it was wonderful, and, and they gave us great and helpful, helpful tips. And one of the things they said, and I'm going to end with this, they said, we all know that uh, the divorce rate is something like 50%. And we often hear that the divorce rate for Christian couples is not a lot better, and that's true. And they said that one of the pieces of data that's overlooked in all that is that although the divorce rate for Christians is not much better, the divorce rate for those who regularly pray together is one in 1,000. Think about that. The divorce rate for those who regularly pray together is one in 1,000. And what's that speak to? Okay, it's, it's one thing to say my marriage is a Christian marriage. It is another thing to be co-workers in Christ Jesus. And my prayer is that you would experience that. And if you're single, I ask that you would join me in praying that the marriages at Highland would be marriages in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, would you fill us with your spirit and power, your grace and kindness. Would you wash over our marriages and our lives for your glory and purposes. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.